This is Generation Education. Join educator Ruth Baynot Mondays at 11 a.m. as she explores modern parenting, physical, emotional, and social development from pregnancy through adulthood. Mondays at 11 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. And welcome back. You're listening to Ruth Baynot on Generation Education 101.9 High FM. And we're going to be chatting all about nutrition and healthy eating. And of course, we all know that chocolates are not healthy eating. They are yummy. But yep, we all know that lettuce, tomatoes, protein, we've learned that all a hundred times. But what is it? What do we need to do in order to actually be healthy, to maintain a good weight, but not become obsessed with this? And I have with me today Gail Landau. She is qualified in nutrition and dietetics and also is a trained intuitive eating coach. We're going to be chatting all about intuitive eating and healthy eating. Good morning, Gail. Hi, Ruth. Thank you for the opportunity. It's so lovely to chat with you and for the opportunity just to talk about topics that I'm passionate about. So thank you for that. Well, I do. I think it's something that is really important and something that is so vital. You hear it all the time when you go on to always refer to JJM, but it is, it's, it's such a big part of our community. And you always see every second day someone posting, how can I lose weight? Or what about this? And what about that? So I thought, let's actually chat about it. First of all, let's chat a little bit about intuitive eating. What are we referring to? Okay, so um, this was uh, my own personal journey. As you mentioned, I am a, a registered dietitian. Um, and when I qualified, and I, to, as far as my knowledge goes, even today, um, what we call non-diet approaches are not part of the curriculum, even though they are evidence-based approaches. So remember that dietetics is a science and there's always needs to be some type of uh, research or evidence before something is recommended or taught in a university curriculum. But this non-diet approach is not part of the curriculum, and it certainly wasn't in the curriculum when I qualified in 1998. So this was largely a a self-study journey, and it was actually largely prompted mainly from my own kind of personal journey in terms of having been an on and off diets maybe from the age of 15 but certainly when I became a mom is actually when mm. I when I really started exploring on a much deeper level so uh, what I realized is that I had a lot of the nutrition knowledge I had a fortune of nutrition knowledge I had a lot of fact I had a lot of science but that didn't guarantee that I had a healthy or a positive relationship with food or my body In fact, many of the rules and the prescriptions and the knowledge that I had was actually keeping me stuck in in maybe what I would call diet culture or diet mentality. And so my journey towards uh, intuitive eating actually started when I became a mom. More after my second child was born, uh, he had a lot of uh, feeding difficulties uh, initially with a lot of colic and reflux and Somehow along the way, when he was around six or seven months, I realized, no, it was obviously a bit later, he was on solids, but I, but basically I was catering to a fussy eater. 
And that much I did know from my nutrition knowledge was was not helpful. And I, I didn't know why with all my nutrition knowledge, I had so easily fallen into this trap of literally catering to, to one need. And so I actually first came towards another non-diet approach, also an evidence-based approach. Ellen Satter is a dietitian by training who then worked more in psychotherapy. And it started me on this journey of questioning what actually is health and what actually mm. is a balanced diet and what yeah. does it mean to have a healthy relationship with food. And yeah. what I liked about what Ellen Satter spoke about was moving away from this ideal of perfect nutrition or ideal body weight and ideal this mm. and ideal that and more towards this concept of children are going to grow in the bodies that they are in along a certain growth curve or trajectory. And, you know, when we start interfering and fussing and being too restrictive or too permissive, that's where things start to go a bit pear-shaped. And what I liked about how Ellen Satter started reframing nutrition for me was this concept of being a competent eater, not perfect. Right. Some days you may get it right. And some days you're so not going to get it right. But competency was something that I was striving for. And when I talk about a, a relationship with food, we're trying to move away from viewing food as good or bad, uh, yes. allowed or not allowed. So yeah. even if, as, if I may um, just interrupt sorry. there, what, what I love that, about what you said a little bit earlier about having that positive relationship with food, I think that is so important because so often, you know, when a person does do these diets, you actually, and we always say, I'm going to start on Monday, which to me is already such a negative push because you're putting this emphasis on the day, on the time, on what you're eating, where you're eating, how you're eating. And as you mentioned about children and children being in the body that they are in, I want to just go into that a little bit and talk about how do we give our children that positive relationship with food. How do we start from the beginning? You mentioned about your son being a fussy eater and all of that. I want to explore that a bit further. Okay. So um, the first thing, just to clarify, when we talk about a non-diet approach, a a non-diet approach is focusing more on behaviors that result in healthy outcomes. So behaviors like movement and activity and adequate sleep and enjoying a balanced and varied diet. I prefer Mm. talking about having a balanced and varied diet versus a healthy diet because as soon as you bring the word health in, it it becomes like this goal. Mm. And and for many people, sometimes um, the the vision of of health is always around the physical appearance um, and health is very much in the non-diet space, this union of mind and body. Mm. Um, that yes, you might, you may appear a certain way, but if you're not in a good mental space, if you are, if your body is appearing a certain way, but that is at the cost of your mental health, then that for me is not healthy. Right. Um, and equally, it works both ways. If you're only pleasing your mental well-being and pleasure and whatever at the expense of the well-being of your physical body, that is also not healthy. Mm. Um, and so how do we support uh, children? Really, from from Ellen Satter's perspective, the dynamic of how children develop competency and a healthy relationship with food begins at the very beginning. Whether a parent chooses to uh, breastfeed or, or or bottle feed, but that is where the parent, or specifically the mother, starts to be more 
tuned in or attuned to the needs of of the baby. And we all know how difficult it is as a first parent. You don't know how to read that baby. Mm. You you confuse a fuss and a cry um, and they haven't got the gift of language and you have to literally be more curious and observe their behavior and their, um, you know, are they fussing? Are they irritable? And, and how are they after a feed? Um, mm. And certainly in my experience, I had difficulty with my first child that I was breastfeeding, um, actually had failure to thrive. That means that he was a very healthy baby at birth. He was actually 4.1 kilos. But um, at the two-week follow-up, he actually, you know, he hadn't gained enough weight and he was already, uh, the breastfeeding wasn't optimal and he was failing to thrive. And I had to go with lactation support between breastfeeding and topping up. And that's also started interfering because now instead of the, the baby guiding me in terms of when they were satiated or full, I was now uh, more working towards a formula. But we navigated through that with a lot of support. Right. And um, essentially, children are born intuitive. We, we all actually have this innate ability to self-regulate. And why do we lose it? Is because it gets interfered with. So certainly, what is yes. happening? With, and absolutely, I think my, about uh, about Jewish moms stopping their children with food all the time. I mean, <laughs> no, exactly. And, yeah. and also, that's where we start getting all in these cultural rules in terms of you know uh, you can have even in the same household one child who's a great eater and the other mm. child who's a fussy eater or a poor eater and is not very, you know, growing robustly or whatever, and the mother's constantly force-feeding. And that that's what I was getting into. My younger son was having this quite limited diet, and I was constantly trying to get him to have this and get him to have that. And the more I was coercing, <laughs> the less I was winning. And, um, yeah, so how do we, we raise children to have, you know, also a, a, a positive sense of self and competency around food is that, Parents need to provide the safety of regular, reliable meals. That definitely does wonders for a child's self-confidence and self-esteem. And children, you know, obviously from from breastfeeding or bottle feeding, progressing onto solids, children are too little and they're going to be uh, too easily distracted by whatever's going on on the day. They need parents to be supportive, to guide them, to remind them it's a time for a meal, it's a time for a snack. And that's where parents who are attuned to their children's behavior are going to notice, I need to catch this early. I need to be providing something maybe mid-morning before I lose it and the child becomes intolerable and and difficult to handle. So parents can help with the competency and the relationship with the child's relationship with food and body by focusing on, on when, providing regular, reliable sit-down meals. The reason we encourage sit-down meals is we know children are easily distracted. They want to move. They want to wriggle. And this is something that sometimes we, we do need to encourage and learn. And we need to provide that in a in a positive way, not, not in a punishing way, uh, because we also need to recognize the ages and stage of the child. What about those kids that are more snack eaters? And I'm not talking about snack foods. I'm talking about eating continual sort of eating little bits throughout the day, be it healthy, not healthy, but not actually having that full meal, but every half an hour either having a little bit of carrot and then half an hour later something else. And what about that? Yeah. So, look, I think that there's a place for for many different approaches. Um, I'm just talking based on my lived experience having used uh, Ellen Satter. 
because I think sometimes the, the kids who, who graze and are constantly looking for food is sometimes because they're not sure when the next reliable meal is and they're always given this this option out or, or possibly that the parent is always catering to their needs and always mm. providing what they want versus uh, providing them exposure to a, a, a variety of foods mm. and exposing them in a neutral way, not always uh, force feeding. So Ellen sat is quite stickly on, or not, you know, quite specific on the, the benefit of routine uh, structure because she even says that, you know, once the meal or the snack is over, then we would say, you know, kitchen's closed. And if the child comes back, we we'll say, oh, I can see um, whatever, but you know, there is going, there isn't the next time for a reliable meal so that children know to become a bit more predictable, certainly in an older child. You know, then they, they become more attuned to their intuitive signals that indicate to them it's time for a meal, it's time for a snack. So, um, I'm not saying Ellen Satter works for everybody. Um, it certainly helped me and it does require a bit of support and guidance. And, and just as a caveat, just to make a note that I'm not a pediatric, uh, dietitian mm. and there are different children with different needs. You know, there may be more medical, related issues or dynamics and that may uh, warrant the intervention of a pediatric dietitian. So in my experience, my children were otherwise healthy, but we were dealing with a bit of fussiness. They hadn't dropped off the growth curve or, you know, there wasn't anything really untoward. Yes, which Um, is quite often that is the case. And it's more just a situation of a mom figuring out what works also for her daily routine, because I do think that is important. No, absolutely. And and I think also um, as parents, often we're so busy caring for the needs of our children, we forgot, forget that we also need to be nourished yes. at reliable intervals. And so we're so good at providing the kids with breakfast and school lunch and snacks or whatever it is, depending on the age of the child, and we forget to, to feed ourselves. So Ellen Satter, again, emphasizes routine and structure. Um, she also emphasizes where the meals are eaten. Um, again, we also want to encourage I'm not saying it's feasible in our busy lifestyles with two parents working to always have sit-down family meals, but at least maybe one meal outside of a Shabbos, um, you know, of a sit-down meal where at least one mm-hmm. parent or adult is present at the table. Um, yeah. And where that meal is, is ideally without the distraction of TV and phones and iPads and devices. I'm not saying you're never going to eat a meal in the car because we all have done school yeah. lifts where you're literally rushing from school to an extramural. I'm not saying you're never going to eat in front of the TV, but most of the time we encourage uh, sit-down meals without the distraction. And then the other thing that parents are ultimately responsible for is what comes into the home. And there we're trying to encourage variety a variety of spices and seasoning and cooking methods and always offering it in a in a neutral way. Uh, certainly Ellen Satter does emphasize this concept of family dining because what children are ultimately accountable for or responsible for is how much and whether or not they're going to eat. And this is where the breakdown in uh, the parenting feeding often comes because the parent starts interfering with how much the child or whether or not the child is eating. And the parent might say, have another bite mm. or you only get dessert if you eat your peas. And again, there are going to be parents who say, if I didn't force feed my child, they would have never eaten a vegetable. But for the most part, your child not necessarily going to grow up having a favorable relationship with vegetables if they were always yes. 
force fed to them. Absolutely. But again, there are rules. There's always exceptions to the rules. And we must also appreciate, much like adults, we all have our own likes and dislikes. Just because I like baby marrow doesn't mean my children are automatically going to like baby marrow. I suppose also brings back that old adage of children learn what they emulate. So what they see, they're going to also do. And when they see parents sitting down, having a meal, chatting, and not making a big deal over it, I think make it more about the actual time together rather than the actual food. I do think that eventually the food won't become the focus, but will become the central core of what's happening in that day. Yeah, thanks for that point. It's so valid. And that's that's there's actually a very lot of research emphasizing how sit-down family meals and this opportunity for, for conversation can become, you know, very central to a child's self-confidence and self-esteem. So again, where are things going to go wrong? If there is conflict at the table and there's a lot of arguing, it is going to become an uncomfortable environment. There's going to be conflict in the home if the child let's say whatever's for supper, and the child says, I'm not eating that. And then the mom gets up and makes something different. No, mm-hmm. then, then that's an option. So this model definitely does need, um, you know, support or guidance. And, and also we, we, we explain to the children, this isn't a hotel. We all, within a mixed family, there is going to be some meals that this person loves and another that another doesn't like. And, Again, we may be accommodating a child with allergies or a specific dietary requirement, but ideally we would like the parent to have the same set of guidance or or rules or limitations for all the children in the home, not specifically targeted for the poor fussy eater or the child who might be growing in a larger body. So with regard to the non-diet approach, we, we recognize children are going to be born on a certain, at a certain weight. And then again, uh, it depends if the child is is preterm or, or at term. But essentially, we're trying to track. You remember from when you've got a small baby, they're going to be tracked at the clinic every so often. And really, what they're trying to see is that the child is is going along a certain curve, and that's their predicted where they're going to end. And in my situation, my son fell off the curve. So he instead of expecting him to have regained his birth weight after two weeks. He had dropped off the curb and we needed intervention to get him back to where he was. And that's really what the Ellen Satter intervention is about, is providing parents with adequate support and tools in a neutral way without blaming the child for the body size that they are and taking less pressure, you know, taking the pressure off the child and also off the parents that um, it's not always your, your fault. There are so many factors that are going to determine how a child's body is going to grow and mature. Absolutely. And I I think that, you know, you've touched on such an important point. And I want to discuss this further. So don't go anywhere. After the break, we're going to carry on chatting with Gail all about intuitive eating. This is Generation Education. Join educator Ruth Baynott Mondays at 11 a.m. as she explores modern parenting, physical, emotional, and social development from pregnancy through adulthood. Mondays at 11 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. Chatting with Gail Landau, nutritionist and dietitian, and we've been talking all about intuitive eating. And before the break, we were talking about children 
and how they need to learn to be intuitive eaters. And I wanted to just touch on this point of how food can become such a tool and a weapon in that, you know, parents want their children to eat to thrive and a child can use it as a way to control their situation knowingly or unknowingly. I, you know, I, you know, that's obviously something that's a lot deeper than what's what I can comment on. But where I'm going with this is when a child starts developing that relationship and then moving into adulthood, now we've created the situation where there's always going to be some sort of conflict about food. And this is where I know for myself, often I'll start a diet and diet's going great. And then I stop the diet and then I try a different diet. And then you hear about this method and that method and constantly on that hamster wheel of dieting and not dieting and losing weight and gaining weight and fasting and not fasting and all of that. And, you know, as you mentioned, starting from childhood to create that intuitive eating, how as an adult do we start to now break down? So we've now reached that point when adults and the mindset is there. How do we now get back into that intuitive eating as an adult? So it's a great question and it's a difficult answer because when we are in that diet cycle, essentially what we're holding out for is some form of a quick fix to to change the, the way my body looks. Yes, sometimes the motivation or the intention is about how the body feels, but I would say majority of the reason why people go on a diet is in pursuit of intentional weight loss. Um, Now, intuitive eating is not against weight loss. It may or may not occur on the intuitive eating journey, but it's certainly not a, a primary reason why someone would explore intuitive eating. Intuitive eating is normally where people have hit rock bottom. They just cannot go on another diet. They have seen through their own lived experience, that each repeated diet attempt has resulted in them getting better. Um, They've also seen a a more sluggish uh, metabolism, uh, less enjoyment of food, noting maybe their diet is actually less varied and more restrictive than it was when they started out. And they kind of just get to the point where there's no more joy and pleasure in eating and they kind of hit the rock bottom. Uh, another reason why someone might come towards intuitive eating is they start realizing they're shifting from the space of what I call having a, a disordered relationship with food to that of an eating disorder. So the spectrum of uh, eating behavior um, is, is quite broad and chronic dieters often sit in this space of uh, disordered eating and disordered eating is when we're having so many food rules, I'm, I'm allowed this, I'm not allowed this, or mm. intermittent fasting or whatever, that there, there are a lot of rules. And as you mentioned in the very beginning, diet mentality or diet culture is when we are very conditioned and we're so used to following a diet sheet or being weighed or measured and being controlled through external measurements that um, we feel so unsafe without that rule book <laughs> mm, and the difficult thing the difficult thing is the more rules you have and the more rule books you follow the less likely you are going to be able to rely on internal signals 
um, of, of hunger and satiety. So intuitive eating is a process. The goal of intuitive eating is the process. It's not an end point of being a certain goal weight. It's the process of attuning or tuning in back to a, a, a physical body more because of its function or form rather than how it appears. And so we, we celebrate, um, the enjoyment of movement of the body for the joy of moving your body, not in the pursuit of burning a thousand calories or, um, calorie counting or, or eating and then compensating through exercise. Um, we also, uh, play, a, really also take into account in the intuitive eating journey, aside from being a chronic dieter, why would a, an adult struggle with trusting their body around hunger and fullness? Maybe because of certain medication that they're taking. Maybe mm-hmm. due to underlying medical condition like poorly controlled type 2 diabetes, for example, where the sugars are up and down and all around might make it harder for that adult to self-regulate. There could be other, other factors that cause a person to be less, uh, you know, a lesser tuned, like for example, uh, high levels of stress and poor sleep, other elements of self-care and, and adulting is hard. It is hard to juggle all the responsibilities of, you know, working and earning an income and running a home and all the adult responsibilities and, and still providing for, for kids. And of course that, yeah. And of course that big thing is the emotional aspect of it as well. When we're happy, some people when they're happy, they do eat, they don't eat. Sad. So emotions come into that as well. How do you actually yeah. work around that when it comes to intuitive eating in terms of the person recognizing when they are having an emotional moment? How yeah. do you let them be intuitive about their emotions with regard to eating? Yeah. Okay. So um, I just want to take this a step back because um, uh, certainly in the younger child, and this is why we, we really try to discourage using food as a reward or food to soothe, is that sometimes it's okay to be sad or to grieve and it's okay to be uncomfortable or angry. We actually, from a young age, we, we don't always need to soften the blow. Sometimes we actually need to sit and hold and hug the child and say, it's okay, I can see you angry. Or if the child isn't able to name that emotional feeling, we want to be there for them um, in that moment. Now, um, as an adult or even as a child, I, I think emotional eating is part of, of a human experience. I don't mm-hmm. believe that um, anyone is not going to have a positive moment where they have a, a happy memory or an occasion where they may or may not have been food involved. Let's think of a bar mitzvah, a bris, a bat mitzvah, yeah. a, a baby and, girl being so, born. Yeah. And sorry to interrupt. It's part of our cultural heritage. Yeah, I was just going to say, Judaism is, is very central around food. It, it's Every sort of aspect is food. You've got to show there's a brocha, there's food. You know, so yes. yes. Yes, and and why? Because we must be basimcha. We must mm. we must experience. Sometimes uh, the the spiritual might be experienced through a physical act. Um, and for those who are from that, might be because they are trying to be uh, conscious, and they would make a brocha, and they would eat that food, and really, um, you know, as they're eating it, trying to really be present with the the physical blessing of of that food. Uh, but again, when we don't have this mind-body connect, everything becomes autopilot and um, and it's just impulsive and in the moment. 
Um, so mindfulness as a tool, and I'm not trained in, in, in mind. I mean, I've done mindfulness courses, but I can't say I'm a trained uh, mindfulness uh, professional, but mindfulness is the, this, um, gift of being in the present moment and also understanding, you know, the intention or, or what brought you to that moment, but coming to it with a, uh, with a sense of curiosity and non-judgment. So when an adult is experiencing emotional eating, we sometimes need to give yourself permission to eat and allow for it because maybe that is your default coping mechanism. It might have worked for you in the past as a coping strategy. It might have helped you survive trauma. It might have helped you survive a hugely stressful experience or whatever it is. So we need to embrace concepts like mindfulness to sometimes um, as uh, is sitting in the discomfort, is is, is recognizing Yes, I am emotionally eating. And, um, and, and in time we, we, we try to get back to thinking, what is the real need here? The food is offering me a temporary relief, but it's not offering me a sustained relief. Why? Because I'm not really knowing what is the intention behind this eating act. This mm-hmm. physical act is maybe just helping me numb, distract or, or cope in the moment. Another reason why people often think that they are emotional eaters might just be rooted in diet mentality and restriction because uh, if we think about the foods that uh, a person is emotionally eating on and we inquire how often do you actually allow yourself to enjoy these foods that you find so pleasurable, mm. you often find they're not eating them uh, or they're depriving themselves on them because they feel too vulnerable around them. They feel out of control. So they'd rather not have any of these foods in the house. Um, but then when they're around them, there's almost this um, complete That's numbing or yeah. autopilot. So sometimes emotional eating is rooted in restriction. Um, right. uh, but again, it all depends on the individual. Have you got a safe space in which to express emotion? Um, uh, or, or maybe you weren't allowed to express emotion as a child and this is a learned behavior that you've carried um, and and that's the process again the intuitive eating process we we know from uh, the research on intuitive eating is that intuitive eating people who are intuitive eaters give themselves unconditional permission to eat so uh, what we mean by that is there isn't this I can I can't I'm allowed I'm not allowed they they give themselves permission to eat they are better able to um, honor emotions um, and, and recognize that sometimes um, because the brain and the gut are connected, physical manifestations can can occur when you have an emotional upset or a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if you think of a baby, until the parent has, has actually learned this crying or fussing, you know, you, you change the nappy. It's not the nappy. Um, you win the baby. It's not that. Um, and then you give food. But, you know, sometimes you get it wrong. And not Absolutely. every solution for fussing <laughs> is food. But as adults, um, as adults, sometimes when we are getting a lot of unpleasantness in the, in the physical being, we might want to numb or distract that with food because that is in the moment going to distract you. So the mind and the gut is just that emotional well-being can sometimes manifest with physical sensations. And then again, if you're following a lot of rules and you aren't able to trust your body around hunger and fullness, 
your emotional eating might just be because you haven't fed yourself reliably the whole day and come five o'clock, now you're irritable and the sap mm. is not made and you've got homework to do and you're irritable and now you are um, emotionally eating. Well, maybe you're not emotionally eating. Maybe you're just starving and you need to <laughs> honor your hunger. Absolutely. Gail, there's so much more I'd love to chat about, but unfortunately we don't have much time left. If someone does want to get hold of you, what would be the best way? Maybe to go onto your website? Um, yes, yeah, so you can visit my, my website, which um, is my name, uh, gaillando.co.za. My name is spelled G-A-Y-L-E-L-A-N-D-A-U. Uh, I am on, on uh, Facebook. Um, otherwise, you're welcome to WhatsApp me on 082461. Eight double five one. Uh, another resource, um, because uh, one of the things that I've realized from being on these social media platforms is that a lot of parents are struggling with children battling with uh, eating disorders or for themselves maybe journeying through eating mm-hmm. disorders or disordered eating. Um, I'm part of a group of healthcare professionals, and we have created a platform called Non-Diet South Africa. We're really trying to promote non-diet approaches we're trying to advocate for health at uh, in any size body and not that health is a concept that is reserved for for the skinny um any size body and um that you can find on Instagram on at non diet South Africa and we are also on Facebook at non diet SA and that's a non diet South Africa which is just a general platform right. where people might find support it's phenomenal gal thank you so much for joining me this morning i appreciate the opportunity ruth it has been so informative and i i know for myself i've gotten so much out of this and i do think the listeners as well thanks so much and you're listening to ruth baynard on generation education 101.9 high fm